Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be together on this Lord's Day to worship God. We're going to study from the Bible. We've enjoyed our time of singing and prayer and our time of giving. And now we're going to study. So I want to invite you to get your Bible out, please, and make your way to your Old Testament this morning. I'm going to invite you to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Go in your Bible, please. The 1 Samuel 16. This is going to be the primary text that we're going to be studying together this morning from God's Word. Earlier this year, uh, particularly back in February, I had the privilege of attending the Florida College Lectures. I was able to attend the lectures in Tampa, Florida. Usually, whenever my schedule allows it, I like to go to the lectures. I get to hear some wonderful lessons from God's Word, and I get to see some old friends and take part in wonderful singing, and I especially enjoy going to the bookstore. Really like the bookstore on the FC campus. In fact, this particular year, I went to the bookstore looking for some good books on one of my favorite Bible characters. Went to the bookstore wanting some books on David. Wanted to do some reading and studying about King David. And so when I went into the, the store, I went down each aisle. And I looked up and I looked down and side to side. And I looked at all the different categories. And you know what I found? I found nothing. I found nothing that was devoted exclusively to David. And so I found, I found me a good sister who worked there. I went and got some help from this good sister. I asked her if she would help me find some books on David, and she said she would. And so we looked together in the bookstore for about 30 minutes, and at the end of that, we found books about Job. And we found some books about Moses and Esther and Nehemiah and Abraham and Elijah and the Apostle Paul. But all we could find about David was a small but wonderfully written 60-page book by a friend of mine named Wilson Adams, but we couldn't find anything over 100 pages. Couldn't find anything over 100 pages on David. I'm going to tell you something. That surprised me. That shocked me. That absolutely stunned me because who's David. Well, we all know who David is, right? David is, was the greatest king of Israel. David is certainly a Mount Rushmore Bible character. I mean, think about it. Much of the Old Testament is about David. Much of the books of Samuel are about David. Much of the kings and the chronicles are about David. David was the father of the man who wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. David's great-grandmother was Ruth. Many of the prophets mentioned David in their writings as well as do many of the apostles mention David in their sermons. In fact, in the very first sermon that we can read about in the book of Acts, remember that sermon in Acts 2. Remember in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, he preached a lot about David. Remember in that sermon, he talks a lot about David and how Jesus, the Messiah, connects to David. David is a major, 
major Bible character, and that is why as a preacher of the Bible, I've made it a goal to rehearse the story of David with the people of God in this place at least once a month for the next several months. In fact, I actually began doing that back in the month of October. If you remember, back in the month of October, I presented a lesson to you about Israel's demand for a king. Do you remember that lesson? Remember back in October, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 8. Remember in 1 Samuel 8, we learned about an occasion when Israel rejected God's leadership and they demanded a king. They demanded a physical king. They wanted a physical king because they wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted to be like the Ammonites and the Amalekites and the Moabites and even the Philistines, like all of those nations. They also wanted a man who would sit on a throne and, and make military decisions and, and go out before them and fight all their battles. They didn't want to trust God anymore. They didn't want to wait on God to raise up judges anymore to deliver them whenever their enemies began to oppress them. Instead, they wanted a king. They wanted a physical king who would sit on a physical throne and God would honor their request. God would give them what they wanted. He would give them a king. He would give them Saul. He would give them Saul, the son of Kish, from the tribe of Benjamin, and Saul started out pretty good, right? Oh, yes, Saul, he started out pretty good. He started out, if you remember, very humble, very valiant, very courageous. He even had some military success over the Ammonites, but due to rebellion, and disobedience and a lack of trust and faith in God, Saul ultimately would be a failure. He would be a colossal failure. He would be fired and rejected by God as king, and he's going to be replaced by someone else. He's going to be replaced by David. David's going to be the next king of the people of God, in fact, here in this chapter before us, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want to suggest that we learn some things in this chapter about David's, about David's early years. We learn some things about David's youth. We learn that even as a youth, even as a young person, God was with David. God was walking with David. God was preparing David to be the next king of Israel. In fact, I believe that we could really sum up David's youth with three very simple, but I believe very powerful statements. And the first statement is this. The first way in which we could sum up David's youth is first, we could describe it as a time of preparation. A time of preparation. Will you read with me, please, the first 10 verses of this chapter? We're in 1 Samuel 16. Let's read what the word of God has to say here. In verse number 1, this is after God had fired and rejected Saul as being king because Saul was not a man of integrity. Saul was a man of jealousy and he lacked faith and trust in God. And so in 1 Samuel 16, in verse number 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, the prophet Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? 
since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go when Saul hears of it? He'll kill me. So notice by this time, Saul has a bad reputation. Samuel knows Saul's kind of crazy. He, he knows Saul's a paranoid man. And he's like, if Saul knows what I'm doing, Saul is going to kill me. Saul has a bad reputation by this time. And the Lord said to him, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. You should invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you should anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? He said, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. I want you to notice a few important observations from the first 10 verses here in 1 Samuel 16. First notice how the chapter begins with God speaking to the prophet. God speaks to Samuel. God tells Samuel, stop grieving. Stop, stop mourning. Stop wallowing in misery over the fact that I've rejected Saul as king and get up and go and do my work. Get up and go anoint the next king of Israel. According to God, the next king of Israel, he wasn't going to come from the family of Saul. He wasn't going to come from the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't going to be one of Saul's sons. He wasn't going to be Jonathan or Abinadab or Melchijah. Instead, the next king, he was going to come from the tribe of Judah. He was going to come from the family of a man named Jesse. He was going to come from a small an insignificant town called Bethlehem. In fact, upon arriving in Bethlehem, notice how the scripture tells us that the elders of that town, they were afraid to see Samuel. They were afraid to see the prophet of God. Verse number three says that they trembled when they went out to meet him and they asked him, do you come in peace? They must have thought that Samuel came to announce some judgment on them. They were afraid when they saw the prophet of God, but Samuel calmed them down. Samuel told them he, he came in peace. He told them to consecrate themselves, to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. Once Jesse and his sons showed up. Verse number six says that Samuel began the process of trying to figure out who God wanted him to anoint. And naturally, he starts with the oldest son. He starts with Eliab. He looks at Eliab and says, this has got to be the guy right here. 
I mean, he, he, he looks the part. He's tall. He's got the stature. He, he, he looks like he is going to be a king. Eliab's got to be the one I've been sent to anoint. Samuel is convinced of this, but God said, God said, no. God said, this is not the guy. Samuel then looks at the next son. He goes to a, a Benedict. And then he goes to Shammai, and then he goes to the next one, and then he goes to the next one, and he goes to the next one. He goes through seven, seven of Jesse's sons, and every time God said no. God says no, none of these guys are going to be my selection. You see, the next king of Israel wasn't going to be any of these seven sons that Samuel initially met upon arriving in Bethlehem. Instead, it was going to be the son who wasn't even there. It was going to be the son who was the most unlikely choice, the son who was the youngest, the son who wasn't even invited to the event, the son who was a nobody when compared to his brothers. It was going to be David. David. Who was David? What is David? Where was David at this time? Well, in the next verse, in verse 11, we see that at this time when all of this is going on and David hasn't been invited to the party, David's out there in the field. David's out there in the field shepherding sheep. He is watching and caring for sheep. He is protecting sheep, feeding sheep. Leading sheep, being a good steward over sheep, God's next king for his people. It's not only going to be the youngest brother of a group of eight, but it's going to be somebody who was a shepherd at this time. Someone who was in the field shepherding sheep. In fact, I submit that what David was doing at that time was God, was God's will for him. It was God's preparation for him. It was God preparing him at that moment in his life to do the work he needed him to do in the future, to prepare him to soon be exalted by the people of Israel. And you know how I know that? I know that because David realized that. Look at the next chapter. Look at 1 Samuel 17. You're familiar with 1 Samuel 17. This is one of the chapters, one of the first chapters that we teach our children, right? This is when David defeated Goliath by the power of God. Remember Goliath, the Philistine giant. He's blaspheming God for 40 days and nobody in Saul's army, not even Saul, want to go out and meet him on the battlefield. They don't want to meet him in the valley of Elah. But David says, I'll meet him. The shepherd boy said, I'll go out and I'll fight Goliath. And notice what he says about why he would do that in verse number 34. In 1 Samuel 17 in verse number 34, it says, but David said to Saul, your, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. I want you to notice 
when making the case as to why he should be allowed to go out on the battlefield and meet Goliath, David says that the reason why he should be allowed to do that is because he was prepared. It's because God prepared him. God had prepared him as a shepherd. God has, had prepared him while he was doing the work of protecting his flock from some of the most ferocious and vicious animals. David said that if I can defeat a lion and a bear, I can defeat this Philistine. If I can defeat a lion and a bear with the blessing of God, I can go out. And I can shut the mouth of this uncircumcised Philistine who's blaspheming the name of God and mocking the army of God. David knew that God had prepared him for this moment. In fact, think about that slingshot. Think about the slingshot. David used a slingshot to kill Goliath, right? Do you think that's the first time he picked up a slingshot? Is that, is that what you believe? You think just in that moment he says, well, I mean, let me try this. Maybe this will work. Never really used one of these before. Do you think David had no experience with a slingshot before that moment? Give me a break. Give me a break. If you have some time, do some research about shepherds and slingshots in ancient times. Notice what shepherds could do at this time with a slingshot. Notice how at this time, in ancient times, many shepherds would actually use slingshots to, 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 to protect their flocks. They would protect their flocks and their herds with slingshots. In fact, not only would shepherds use slingshots at this time, but so would warriors. So would men who fought on the battlefield. You see, by the time David faced Goliath, he's already very accurate with a slingshot. He's already practiced this a lot. He's equipped. He is trained. God has providentially, through the time of his youth, prepared him for this moment. And guess what? God does the same thing today. God does the same thing with his people today. Even today, God can use our current situations, the current things we're going through in our lives to equip us and prepare us to do better things for him in the future. He can do this with our current family situation for all the men in the room, particularly for all the younger men in the room, men between about 20 and 40 years old, men about my age. God can use your experiences with your family, your experiences with your wife and your kids right now to prepare you to later do critical work in his church, to prepare you to one day be an elder or a shepherd or a pastor in the church. He can also do this with our prayers. You know, maybe God hasn't given you something you've been asking him for through prayer for the last few days, few weeks, few months, few years. Maybe he hasn't given you what you've been asking for because he's trying to teach you something. He's trying to teach you patience. He's trying to teach you perseverance and endurance and how you need to trust him and wait on him. And then think about a struggle or a trial or a very dark time in your life. Think about how suffering through something like cancer or another terrible sickness you may have had. Think about how that may have equipped you 
to be able to relate to someone later on in life or encourage a brother or a sister who's dealing with that same kind of sickness? Think about how losing a child or a grandchild or a spouse or a close friend, that may have equipped you to comfort somebody else later down the line who was going through the very same tragedy. You see, like in the case of David, sometimes we go through terrible and awful moments in this life to prepare us. God wants to prepare us for something. God wants to equip us for something. God wants to use something that we're going through right now to help us do something for him later on down the line. That's what was going on with David in the time of his youth. David's youth can be summed up by saying it was a time of preparation. But not only was it a time of preparation, let's add to that by saying that it was also a time of evaluation. A time of preparation and also a time of evaluation. Here's my question right now. What separated David from everybody else? What separated David from his brothers? Why did God pick him over Eliab and, and Abinadab? Why did God even want David to be the king over Saul? Well, we know the answer to that. We sing about it already. The reason why God chose David was because of his heart. It was his heart. In 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14, when God fired Saul, when God rejected Saul from being king because he didn't trust him, he lacked faith, and Saul didn't wait for Samuel before offering a sacrifice, and they went out to fight the Philistines. Saul should have waited for Samuel to offer that sacrifice, but Saul did it. He had no authority to do that, and he wanted to, I guess, have some kind of good luck charm done before he went out to fight the Philistines. There in that verse, Samuel told him, God has rejected you. God has rejected you from being king, and he's going to find him somebody who's after his own heart. The apostle Paul tells us in Acts 13, 22, that that person God is talking about there in that verse, that's David. David is this man after God's own heart. In fact, I think we even see a reference to this in the chapter before us. In 1 Samuel 16, in 1 Samuel 16, in verse number 7, after Samuel looked at Eliab and thought to himself, this has to be the God, this has to be the next king of Israel. In verse 7, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him for God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at what? God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. David is chosen by God because of his heart. He had a heart for God, and Samuel was going to struggle understanding this initially. Remember when Samuel shows up, when he first arrives in Bethlehem, and he's trying to figure out, okay, who is going to be the next king? He's making the same mistake that Israel made before Saul became king. He's making the same mistake. He's judging things by appearance. He's impressed with height. He's impressed with stature. He's impressed with physical attributes. He's impressed with those kinds of things, the things that are on the outside. But God is more concerned 
with what's going on on the inside. God cares about character. God cares about integrity. God cares about spirituality. You see, David may not have stood head and shoulders over all the other Israelites like Saul, but he had the kind of heart God desired. He had the kind of character God wanted in a king. Saul may have been big on the outside, but he was a midget in the eyes of God. David had a heart for God. Now, he wasn't perfect by any means. We're going to see that as we keep studying his story over the next few months. But he did have a heart, have a heart that was humble. And it was full of faith and trust and courage and reverence and love for God. You see, from this part of David's life, we learn that God doesn't evaluate things like we do. God doesn't judge things like we do. God doesn't judge things by outward beauty and stature and height and physical appearance. Instead, the chief thing God is concerned about is the heart. It's character. It's integrity. And so here's my question. When God looks at your heart, because God can see your heart. He can see my heart. When God looks at your heart this morning, right now, what does he see? What does God see when he looks into your heart right now? Does he see humility? Does he see someone who is humble? Does he, does he see someone this morning who understands just how little and feeble and weak they are before him? Does he see grace? Does he see compassion? Does he see sympathy towards the needs and the sufferings of others? Does he see love? Does he see true love for him and, and true love for other people in his family? Does he see a heart that is pure? Does he see a heart that is morally pure and completely void of any kind of hypocrisy as Jesus talks about in Matthew 5 and verse 8? Does God see those kinds of good qualities in your heart, does he see a heart that's got pride in it? Does God see pride? Does God see a heart full of rebellion, a heart that really doesn't trust him and want to do things his way, but we kind of want to do things our way, we want to live our lives our way? Does he see a heart full of partiality towards others and full of jealousy and envy and hatred? Does he see a heart full of bitterness? Does he see a heart full of hypocrisy and a heart that cares more about what people think about you instead of what God thinks about you? Remember, that's the problem Jesus had with the hearts of the Pharisees. God chose David, not because of how he looked on the outside, but because of how he looked on the inside. He had a heart for God. He had a heart of integrity and faith and love and character. This was a time, David's youth was a time when God was evaluating his heart. Because God wanted his next king to have a heart after him. But not only was this a time of preparation and evaluation, let me close by saying that this was also a time of expectation. Expectation. Going back to the text one more time, look at verse 11. As we pick up with the reading in verse number 11 of chapter 16, and Samuel 
Verse 11 said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him here, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. What's going on there in those verses? Well, in those verses, we find one of the most important moments in Old Testament history. David is anointed. David is anointed by Samuel. He is anointed, set apart, handpicked by God to do a job that he wouldn't actually do until many years down the line. You see, David is very young at this time when Samuel first anoints him to be the king. He's probably between 15 and 20 years old. And he's not going to be appointed or put in the position of king over the people of God in Judah and Hebron until he is about 30 years old. And he's not going to be made the king over all the people of Israel in Jerusalem until he's about 37 years old. You see, David is young at this time and a lot of other stuff's got to happen before he finally becomes the king. A lot of time's got to go by. A lot of events must take place. He's got to first make a name for himself by killing Goliath. And he's got to work as a musician in Saul's court. And he's going to become very popular, especially among the women. And as a result of that, Saul's going to get jealous and try to kill him. And David's going to be a fugitive for many years. And he's even going to spend some time living among the Philistines. And he's going to get wives and have children and get a band of mighty men. And he's even going to have to consolidate the kingdom after Saul's death. A lot of things got to happen before David becomes the king. But for now, he's got to go back to work. He's got to go back to the field. He's got to go back to being a shepherd. This would be like working at McDonald's or Burger King. There's nothing wrong if you work at McDonald's or Burger King. But imagine you work at McDonald's or Burger King and a prophet comes in there. Samuel comes in there and he anoints you to be the president of the United States. He says, one day you are going to be the president. You're going to be the leader of the free world. You think it's going to be easy to go back working at Burger King? Think it's going to be easy to go back working at McDonald's for a few more years? You know that's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for David. David knows he's going to be the next king. But he's got to be patient. He's got to wait. He's got to wait for God. To put him on the throne in his time. And that's something we got to do today. Like David, we also got to understand that a big part of serving God is being patient. It's learning to wait. It's learning to wait on God. Learn to wait on God to answer our prayers. Learn to wait on God to give us what's right when the time is right. Learn to wait on God to grow us and mature us and help us really be effective in using our spiritual talents. Learning to wait on other people around us to grow and become more like Jesus. Learning to wait on Jesus for him to come again and take us to heaven. You see, serving God often requires us waiting on him to work our things in his time. 
And until God's time comes, we got to be like David. We got to go back to work. Got to serve. Got to be good stewards. Got to do what we're supposed to do with integrity. David's got to wait before God puts him on the throne. And God has promised him, you're going to be on the throne. You're going to be the next king. You're going to be the next king of my people. And I'm looking forward to rehearsing that that journey with you over the next few months. Looking forward to rehearsing David's story and his journey and just look at all the practical lessons we can learn from this man after God's own heart. I appreciate your kind attention this morning. As we get ready to go into our invitation, I just want to ask you to, to do something for me, okay? I want to ask you just to evaluate your heart. Would you evaluate your heart this morning? Will you look into your heart and see if you have a heart that's truly for the Lord, a heart that's devoted to God, a heart that is like David? If after examining your heart, you realize your heart is not where God wants it to be, if that means you need to repent and come back to the Lord or to submit to God for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism. If there's anyone here this morning who needs to get their heart and their life right with God, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.